A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to the show which delves into the mucky business of politics through the eyes of Christians. Now, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin. And well, yes, you would be right. But then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we'll be joined by the returning Gareth McNabb. Gareth is the Director of External Affairs at the charity Christians Against Poverty. We'll be looking ahead to Wednesday's autumn statement and Gareth will be lifting the lid on the extent of poverty and its impact upon individuals right around our country and how the church can get involved in tackling that crisis. But before that, so this week, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will deliver his autumn statement where he's going to set out the government's tax and spending plans for the year leading up to the next general election. The statement will include the government's plans to try to promote economic growth to cut or raise taxes on people, businesses and the things that we buy, such as fuel and alcohol. The statement can also include plans for how the government will spend the money that it raises, allocating funds to areas such as defence, public services, including the NHS, schools, local councils and to state pensions and benefits. And in the run up to the election, which is going to take place at some point in the next 12 months, the main aim of the statement and the budget that will be delivered next spring will be to indicate the economic priorities of the Conservative Party and to seek support from voters. The weekend papers were full of speculation about possible cuts to inheritance tax or income tax. Now, only a few fairly well-to-do people ever actually pay inheritance tax, but millions of people pay income tax. Any tax cut has to be paid for, though, and it has been speculated that these could be paid for by a cut in benefits. By trialling different options in the media, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor might be seeking whether any of these options might appease different factions in their own party and appeal to core sections of the electorate. The Chancellor faces huge challenges. Inflation has halved since the beginning of this year, fulfilling one of Rishi Sunak's five pledges, but prices are still rising. Economic growth is forecast to remain stagnant for the next couple of years, and the public sector national debt is estimated to be almost 98% of the UK's national income. Meanwhile, public services are struggling. Almost 10% of jobs in the NHS are vacant. 7.7 million people are on hospital waiting lists, and many schools fear they will have to cut staffing and resources to meet rising costs. Yet, taxes are also at their highest levels since the post-war period, and there are not many votes to be won by raising them further. If you think this all sounds pretty bleak, well, you're not alone. Uh, Pre-election baubles are all very well, but whichever party wins the election faces a mighty challenge and limited options. According to the Financial Times, unless Britain can boost its growth rate, the country looks consigned to have high taxes and poor public services for the foreseeable future. So how should we view this situation and the autumn statement through a Christian lens? If economics is not your strong point, it is easy to get bored and switch off. These are complex issues with no easy answers. It's also easy to get angry at the current situation with the politicians in charge or else just to become despondent. But as we're fond of saying on this show, we should neither panic nor despair. We know that God is ultimately sovereign over all things, and we should take hope from Paul's reminder in Philippians 4, verse 6, 
not to be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The role of government is to provide good stewardship of our nation, making just decisions in the interests of the whole population, not just certain sections that might vote for it at an election. I would argue that good stewardship doesn't necessarily mean pursuing economic growth at all costs, hoping that being richer will somehow make us all happier. The economy of God's kingdom is one of generosity and abundance, where there is more than enough for everyone, where we will share our resources fairly. But our human version in this fallen world falls far, far short. We value profit and comfort for ourselves over the welfare of our neighbours and our obedient stewardship of the planet. We should pray for wisdom for our leaders and their advisers as they try to find ways to balance everything out and bring long-term stability and sustainability to our nation whilst meeting everyone's needs. We should also pray for ourselves, that we might be people who are able to be compassionate and generous with our approach to money and resources. When we humans start to feel the pinch, we can become self-preserving, only looking out for ourselves. If we take the time to read the Old Testament law, we see how God embedded caring for the poor, the foreigner and the more vulnerable among us into the very fabric of how his people should live and work. It was expected that caring for the vulnerable would be costly to the comfortable. For example, the gleaning laws of Leviticus 19 command, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, I am the Lord, your God. When we examine Jeremy Hunt's statement this week, let's also examine our own hearts. Are we pleased or upset at the announcements in that statement because of how they will impact on us or because of how they will impact on our neighbour, especially our neighbour, whose need may be greater than ours. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest this week, Gareth McNabb is the Director of External Affairs for Christians Against Poverty. So who better to talk to on the eve of the Chancellor's Autumn Statement? Gareth, it's brilliant to have you back again. Thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Tim. Well, just first of all, tell us a bit about Christians Against Poverty. Many listeners will know about the organisation, but many might not. So tell me what the charity does to serve people in crisis and then perhaps a little bit about what what cap does as an advocate on a national basis yeah of course tim so christians against poverty uh, for starters uh, who'd be a christian for poverty right mm. <laughs> uh, christians against poverty uh, we're a charity we're about 27 years old we work in all four nations of the united kingdom in partnership with local churches to provide debt advice to people who are weighed down by the weight of problem debt and poverty we also provide other services like uh, money coaching, uh, which is a, a group based financial education for uh, adults and for young people. We uh, we have a life skills course, uh, which is helping people live life on chronically low budgets, how to shop well, eat well, cook well on limited resources and jobs clubs, uh, helping the long term unemployed find uh, work through sharing skills uh, within uh, within local communities. Uh, we've also recently launched a benefits calculator on our website to help connect uh, the general public with the 19 billion pounds a year of social security that goes unclaimed money that should be in people's pockets that people desperately need but is piled up on a desk in Whitehall um, and so uh, we've been really pleased to get 100 million pounds a year of extra income for people visiting our website uh, so that's what we do uh, we do it because we love mm. Jesus 
hate poverty. Um, we do it because we're committed to working in partnership with the local church. Um, the local church is incredible, isn't it? Like um, the, the long-standing witness in every community in the country uh, to the goodness of God and his faithfulness uh, and demonstrating that faithfulness by standing with those in need through whatever that need is. Uh, the church has done it for hundreds, thousands of years in parts of the country. Uh, and we've done it through a pandemic. We're doing it through a cost of living crisis. And when that cost of living crisis has uh, been and gone, we'll still be there in local mm. communities, uh, loving them with the love that Jesus does uh, and lifting up their cry. Um, because we know that we're not going to see an end to poverty in this nation simply one by one, giving people debt advice and helping them cook and shop on a budget. Because um, we've got a major income problem in this nation. Uh, 50% of our clients, after we've helped them build a budget, so we've made sure they're getting everything they're entitled to, we've made sure that uh, their budget makes sense, there's nothing in there that's not essential, 50% of our clients haven't got enough to begin making payments to their creditors. They've not mm. even got enough to make their full payments to their essential bills, Tim. They're in mm. the hole by £250 a month. 50% of our clients, after we've tried to help, are £250 a month behind what they need to maintain their payments to their essential bills. And so when uh, when the media are talking about this impossible choice between heating and eating, we've got real lives and real numbers on that impossible choice. We know mm. the people and their stories. Local churches partnered with us are committed to work, working out what do you do mm. while that in the hole. It's not as simple as... Um, food from a food bank and a, and a fuel bank voucher to keep the lights on a bit, that'll help you one month. But what about the next and the next? And then every month while incomes aren't keeping track with expenses uh, right across the nation. So that's that's who we are and what we do. Uh, for the 50% that we that are, that debt advice isn't going to be enough to end poverty, um, people like me uh, get very noisy and passionate, use a lot of words uh, to advocate for the poorest in our society, to challenge the systems and structures in this nation that have um, us tolerating poverty to quite the extent that uh, this government, I think, uh, can tend to. Well, the word that CAP does, I can testify in my own community, is is, is life-changing stuff for people in desperate, desperate need. But you also set a picture across the whole country, Gareth, of, uh, of the real need that is out there. And recently you've done some research that really lifts the lid on the horrifying reality of poverty in Britain today. Tell us a bit more about it. So uh, we've started doing some uh, UK-wide polling to get a sense of what's going on in the nation, where the questions are set based on our experiences um, in uh, debt centres around the country, um, and the responses are representative of uh, right across the UK. Uh, we've discovered that nearly 15 million adults have skipped meals in the summer as a result of the cost of living crisis. And that's the summer. That's that's not when they were paying extra for their energy bills during the coldest months. That's the summer. What are they yeah. going to do in the winter? Uh, around a quarter of adults have daily anxiety about their financial situation. Mm. That's quite a significant increase on the last time we asked that question in our uh, client report. So bear in mind, we asked that of our clients. So the sample is uh, skewed. But the last time we asked that question, it was definitely below one in five, which is still a frightening number. Mm. A daily anxiety about finances, just getting in the way of everything else you might want to do in your life. Um, uh, and then uh, probably the one that, that sat me down and had me quiet and praying 
for quite some time was that one in 10 adults agree with this statement. At times, the cost of living crisis has made me question whether it's worth living. Wow. That's really sobering, isn't yeah. it? And that's the general public. Now, we already knew, uh, Tim, that over the last few years, there's been an increase in suicidality among our clients. Uh, mm. Three or four years ago, it was about one in four of our clients have considered or attempted suicide before getting in touch to uh, address their debts. Uh, two years ago, it was one in three. And last year, it was 50%. And that means um, I I've tasked someone in my team with the impossible job of getting ready to write a report next year where um, the survey is still in the field with clients, but we are anticipating needing to say next year that it, it's likely to be the majority yeah. of our clients will have considered uh, suicide due to the level of their debts. And and so so beginning to see that sentiment rise in the general public, not only those who are under the crushing weight of poverty and problem debt, but out there in the general public, it makes me really quite... Um, uh, <laughs> angry that yeah. we are where we are it yeah. makes me frustrated that uh, politicians will play games with words and ideas um, that actually when when it comes to the rub of it this is people's lives there are people in society whose lives are more greatly affected by government decisions and rhetoric than many of us and for those on the lowest incomes those who are disabled those who are disproportionately more likely to be uh, female from ethnic minorities their lives are in the hands of Mel Stride and Jeremy Hunt. Mm. Their lives are in the hands of the language they've been using in the last month or two as they've, uh, they call it kite flying, don't they? They test yeah. an idea out there in the media and yeah. see how angry will the public get um, uh, before potentially rolling it into government policy. So uh, ahead of the, um, the autumn statement tomorrow, all kinds of rumours swirling around, some that make me quite angry, somewhere I really just would love to get in a room with these senior politicians and, and, and share these stats with them and introduce them to some people like uh, Anthony, a friend of mine who's experienced some of the brunt of uh, both DWP and Treasury policy in the last few years. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're joined by Director of External Affairs for CAP, Gareth McNabb, and we're looking at the cost of living crisis and also the autumn statement that we're seeing this week. So against the backdrop of what we've just been talking about, the horrific reality for so many people, so many people thinking that life is not worth living uh, and even going a step further to seriously contemplating taking their own lives. Um, against that backdrop, uh, the autumn statement this week is not just some other interesting political event for us to talk about in the news. It's life and death for people. Uh, you talked about the speculation of some of the uh, kites that have been flown uh, about particular changes that might be made. Um, tell me about a couple of them and what you make of them. So the one the one that autumn statement wise is really in focus for organisations like Christ Against Poverty, uh, where the majority of our clients are in receipt of social security, um, mm. benefited by uh, any other language. Uh, numbers of them in, almost entirely reliant on social security for their income. This is the point in the year where the Chancellor will announce whether or not the government will do the normal thing. The normal thing is to use the rate of inflation from September and commit to it now that in April next year, that's what benefits will go up by. So the annual pay rise for people on benefits, I suppose. Mm. The normal way of doing things for means tested benefits is to commit that it will always go up by inflation. 
what that would mean in real terms is um, what costs a pound today <laughs> will feel like it still costs you a pound then. The, mm. the, the price of things relative to your income won't be getting more expensive. Yeah. But the normal way of doing things hasn't been normal for this government. Uh, throughout the 13 years of an austerity agenda, in nine of those 13 years, the government has made the active choice to cut the pay of people in receipt of Social Security and, uh, and not increase Social Security by the, the rate of inflation. Um, that means that um, the, the, the amount of money that people are on, on benefits right now won't buy them as much as it did five years ago. And that's terrifying, isn't it? If they were already struggling to get keep enough in the cupboards to feed their kids while keeping enough um, on the meter to heat their home, mm. how much more devastating when the government has made the active choice in more years of their um, tenure than they haven't mm. to cut that income. And so the rumours have been that uh, the Chancellor will use a later inflation figure, will use inflation from October rather than September, which could save him about three or four billion pounds. Yeah, because inflation has come down. Now it's come down because of an accident of maths, not because of deliberate active government policy. Yeah. Because of the expensive thing from October last year dropped off the balance sheet in September this year. It's not yeah. an active, deliberate thing. The government claims that they couldn't control infl stop inflation going up when it was going up, and now they want to take the credit for it while it's coming <laughs> down. Yes, that, it doesn't quite make sense to me. Uh, and so that's that's the biggest and harshest rumor. And that at the same time as they were mooting the idea of cutting inheritance tax. Yes. That's that only 4% of households in the whole nation pay. Yeah. The idea that cutting taxes for the wealthiest in society while cutting pay for the poorest in society. Tim, I've read my Bible. I was listening to a song this morning based on the Magnificat about how uh, Mary's prayer that mm. God fill the stomachs of the hungry and send away the rich. Mm -hmm. um, this this is the tension that this government has been actively stoking in the rhetoric up until tomorrow. Now and it may be that these are kites being flown. In reality, something else might happen. That instead they might look at an income tax cut, which potentially could also be paid for by uh, this effective cut in in benefits. What would you make of that? Uh, well, the, the income tax cut that they're thinking about. This is a hard one because when mm. you do the maths it does disproportionately benefit the most wealthy. Mm. That's just how maths works. Mm. When you divide any big number by a percentage, you get a bigger number than when you divide a small number by a percentage. Indeed. If they put income tax uh, uh, down from 20% uh, to 19 or 18 or whatever number they would pick, if you're on a high income, that benefits you more than if you're on a low income. Yeah. That said, it would benefit more in society than an inheritance tax cut would have. So generally speaking, I'd be in favour. However, it's a bit smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Because uh, it's highly unlikely that the Chancellor is going to move the income tax thresholds. And so what yeah. the Chancellor gives, the Chancellor takes away. Here's, yeah. a, here's a cut in your tax. But as you earn more money, the rate, the, the level at which you start making payments towards that tax will kick in quicker. Mm. And so it's a bit of a nothing, really, an income tax cut when you look at the thresholds. And clever economists than me, I'm not I'm not a one. I work in comms, Tim. Um, but an eco economist will have a field day tomorrow. If that's what indeed what he does. What I think is going to happen tomorrow. And I'm really frightened of this one. Mm. Um, the, the reverse Robin Hood of taking from the poor to give to the rich is an easy thing for God's people to stand against to say, no, not in not in our mm. name. Um, but what I think is likely to happen tomorrow is um, I, I, I think uh, there's been enough uproar to say no way. Um, 
the Chancellor will say, well, here you go. We'll, we'll increase Social Security by the amount we normally do. We'll increase pensions by the triple lock by the amount we normally do. But mm. what we're going to do, we're going to increase conditionality on benefits. So what that means for listeners is um, if you're out of work and in receipt of benefits, the rules you'll have to follow to keep getting your benefits will get stricter. Mm. There's this idea out there in the media that there's two million people in receipt of benefits who could be working. Thing is, though, their doctor has told them they are too ill to work. Yeah. And the idea that the DWP will now step in and be the arbiter of whether somebody is too ill to work or not, taking that from doctors, I'm just deeply uncomfortable. I think there's a real justice issue there. And, and the idea that we'll start saying to people, oh, uh, so you suffer with incontinence regularly. You can still work, though, can't you? Maybe you can work from home. Well, the doctor said that that's not possible given yeah. that uh, mental health issues where anxiety and stress is having physical manifestations in the body and a doctor has said you're not well enough to work there's talk that that might be scaled up to say only really if you're experiencing a major psychotic episode that that this is all really problematic i think uh, tim and the idea that people like me organizations like ours will be happy with the government doing what they should just normally do mm. not be up in arms about this idea look it's a scriptural principle. Work should be the best way out of poverty. But in this nation, it isn't. The majority of households in poverty have somebody in them in work. Mm. Wages aren't high enough. Social security is not supplementing wages by sufficiently to ensure that the essentials can be met. And until they address the basic mechanics of income and social security, I think it's getting on for immoral to drive people into work through an ideology when uh, there isn't the healthcare there for them to ensure that they can engage with work uh, and there isn't the work there for them that pays well enough to ensure that the bills could be paid it doesn't work out for me morally or mathematically so gareth um you said you don't have the qualifications to be chancellor there are no qualifications to be chancellor as you know um, so i am now appointing you you're in number 11 um give me the outlines of what chancellor mcnab would be announcing this week <laughs> um I would make tomorrow's autumn statement the last budget ever where the Chancellor decides what standard of living you on Social Security will will receive. I would announce tomorrow that, of course, Social Security is going to go up by inflation because that's just what we should normally do. But in acknowledgement that the levels of Social Security have been entirely arbitrarily set by politicians for a generation or more and have never really had any link to the basic costs of the essentials in life. I would be announcing the appointment of an independent commission for Social Security that assesses um, independently what, what are the barest minimum income that somebody needs for the essentials in life. And I would be committing that Social Security will always be at least at that level, mm. always, only ever at least at that level. I would be committing my government to making changes in other parts of the budget to ensure that people in this nation, the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world in the 21st century, we should be able to step into that kind of commitment to the um, the most vulnerable households, people most vulnerable to harm as a result of my decisions, and um, making sure that we're there for them, making sure that the government never again uh, can be using language or policies to directly reduce the standard of living of uh, people on the lowest incomes, people the government uh, should be there to support. But we as a society pool our taxes to make sure that when life happens, uh, it goes wrong from time to time, we, we all get old or sick or lose a loved one or lose a job 
And um, that's what our social security system was designed for. And I'd be committing that never again will there be political control about the levels that that would be set at. Well, I, I wish for all sorts of reasons it was for me to give you the gig. Um, but <laughs> Gareth, I think, first of all, we're really grateful to you for your time today, but we're also grateful for what you and the organisation does. I think Cap actually encapsulate what Christians should do about social issues, uh, in this case, poverty. What should we do? Uh, we should be praying. Uh, what should we do? We should be showing the love of Jesus in our community. What should we do? We should be saying to government respectfully but forcefully, these are the things that would make things better for people. And what should we do? We should serve people in the communities that God has put us in. And that's what CAP does. And if uh, uh, there are listeners out there who don't already support you one way or another, can I encourage people to do just that? If your community doesn't have a CAP, debt centre uh, and you want to have a chat with CAP nationally to see whether your church might be the one to partner to make that happen um, I really encourage you to do so but Gareth we're really grateful to you for uh, opening our eyes to some of these deeply troubling issues and helping us to pray in an informed way about these issues as well great to see you see you soon thanks for having me on Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. It may be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it, or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Well, this week, Fiona in Manchester has been in touch and she says this. Tim, I was against Brexit and thought the behaviour of Nigel Farage around the campaign was shameful. As a family, we really enjoy sitting down to watch I'm a Celebrity. Should I boycott watching it this year in protest at ITV giving him a platform? Fiona, thanks for your question. And for all listeners out there, I think it's entirely legitimate for you to be a committed Christian and to think Brexit was a good idea, even though I strongly disagree with you. I would tend to agree that Nigel Farage and others around the campaign and before and since I would often use language that I would rebuke him for were he a brother. I don't believe he is a believer. So maybe what we should be doing is praying for Nigel Farage to come to put his trust in Jesus as we pray for anybody else. If you think that ITV are kind of playing to the gallery and are not really thinking about um, normalising, shall we say, some of the opinions that Nigel Farage has and the negative consequences of those, then yes, I guess, just don't watch the thing. I, I confess I don't tend to watch I'm a Celebrity. My children tend to. And we had a bit of a debate about this in the WhatsApp group, the family Farron WhatsApp group, um, about uh, three or four days ago. Um, sh shall we vote for him every night to do disgusting things was basically the theme that my kids were putting out there. My answer was, no, if you think that his presence on the television is somehow endorsing the things that he believes and that that's negative for the country, if you think that, then just switch off, read a book, do something else with your life, go for a run, um, read the Bible. But yeah, pray for Nigel. And if you are of the view that he shouldn't be on the telly, just don't bother watching it. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's end in prayer. A loving Heavenly Father, we lift up to you, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, as he makes his statement uh, to Parliament this week. We pray for all of his advisors and his colleagues that you give them all wisdom and that you would also give them compassion. We lift up to you all those people that Christians Against Poverty help, all those people they'd love to be able to help but can't reach and haven't been able to reach yet. 
we lift up to you all of those who struggle financially uh, in whatever way, wherever they may be. And we pray that you would be with them in those struggles, uh, that they would um, find the deepest answer to their deepest need, which is a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. Um, we pray that would be so. And we pray that you'd meet their material needs as well. Uh, that you would lift people out of despair, you would lift people out of poverty, and that you'd show each and every one of us what it is that we can do in politics, in our communities, and personally, to make a difference to help those who are in need. We continue to lift up to you also um, Israel and Gaza. We pray for peace, we pray for justice, we pray for strength and encouragement for your people uh, in Israel and in Gaza, that they would live faithfully and point people to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. All you need to do is search for a mucky business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash a mucky business. Mm -hmm.